1: their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them, home. Bring them home.
0: What is next for your Los Angeles Dodgers? How do we fix this team? Did Andrew Friedman fail la at the deadline we got five starting pitchers that the dodgers could consider signing that they should consider signing that's coming up on a live edition of dodgers dugout welcome to the show friends my name is doug mccain credentialed member of dodgers media you can follow me on x and instagram at dmac underscore la if you haven't yet be sure to subscribe to the channel hit that subscribe button hit that notification bell hit that like button and let us know what do you think is the first thing that the Dodgers should do this offseason? Which players should they go after? Which shakeups should you have within the organization? Let us know down below. But we're going to dive into this first topic here. And I found it very interesting because Dave Roberts, he appeared on MLB Network Radio to discuss the Dodgers early exit in the NLDS. He had some comments about the layoff, about the situation they were in. Here, give a listen to Dave Roberts talking about the Dodgers lost the Diamondbacks in the NLDS.
1: I, I think that Ideally, I would love to have one clear answer um, so you can remedy it. Um, I think the facts are: um, we we didn't we didn't get good starting pitching out of the gate. We we didn't catch a lead in the entire series,
0: um, and the bats we just didn't hit. So, you know, then you kind of take the second layer, as you mentioned, Danny, is you know the layoff and. Um, certainly not ideal. Um,
1: I think that anyone that's picked up a baseball bat understands that, you know, baseball is a rhythm sport. Um, But when you're mired in it, you're in it. You can't let that bleed into your thought process. And you've got to make the best with whatever circumstance. And uh, we clearly didn't.
0: So you hear Dave Roberts right there talking about anyone who's picked up a bat knows that baseball is a rhythm sport. That's 100% true, but also look, excuses are like farts they stink okay that sounds like an excuse to me that sounds like someone that's trying to use their early exit and find any way to try to frame it in some way where you're trying to save face here i see down below in the comment section swaggy c says the players need to show up swaggy c also says that dave roberts did nothing wrong i said think that look it's not dave roberts fault for sure i think he's Far down along the list of reasons why the Dodgers lost this series. But I will say he should have gotten the ball from Lance Lynn a little earlier there in game three. But, yeah, I do think his hands were tied. We look at a starting rotation that gave them four and two-thirds innings. The offense absolutely did not show up. So there's no doubt about that. But kind of getting back to this idea, I kind of want to debunk this myth. And, yes, it is a factor. There's no doubt about it. And I think the first thing I want to see next year. So I always say don't present a problem unless you have a solution. What is the solution? Because look, this is a Dodgers team that knows how to win in the regular season. They have the formula. They have the code to win in the regular season. You've seen that. 100 win seasons after 100 win seasons. So you are going to get that layoff. You are going to have that time in between the wild card round and the division series. And the Dodgers they tried something new this time they had fans in the stands but guess what what they do they only had it to returning season ticket members how about you open that up how about you let 40,000 people how about you let people that go to Dodgers fans every game that aren't season ticket holders in there that would change things up you would have a bigger crowd the adrenaline would be flowing a little more and i think that that would help them so that's one thing they could do two how about you have the Dodgers triple a team this is what i want to see this is my big solution here for this if you're going to have this layoff, you're going to look for some type of competition in between these games. And Dave Roberts says a rhythm sport. How about you have those players at the AAA level, even bring up the guys from AA, create this minor league super team with whoever's available, and you have those players scrimmage. AAA versus the Dodgers. You could have a prize. You could have the Dodgers big league players, the Mookie Betts and the Freddie Freemans have some type of Financial benefit where you reward some of these minor league players if you win that game. You got to put something on this game to give them the juices, to make them float a little more and have them locked in. So I want to see the Dodgers versus their minor league affiliate have it televised, man, have it on Sportsnet LA, and that would be great. Who wouldn't want to see that in a real game? Because imagine Gavin Stone, imagine Nick Frost, imagine some of these guys that you want to see have opportunities. Michael Bush, I mean, like we saw, he hit a home run on Bruce Dark Gradraw. I think that would help everyone. I think that would help this Dodgers team. And I think that it would be a great television event as well. So that's one thing you could do. You gotta have a real game because practices don't work. Workouts don't work. Situational hitting by putting guys on base like they tried to do, clearly it did not work. You guys hit 177 and it was the milk box offense. They just did not show up. So I think there's that. But the reality is that that's overblown. Last year, you had the bye teams, right? The answer of the bye teams, the wild card round winners, it was a dead heat. The games were split eight and eight. The series were split two and two. So there's that. And if you look at the first two games in each series, the teams with the bye went five and three. So if you go in even further, the first game only, they went three and one. So for every matchup in playoff history, I found this very interesting. Fan graphs did a study and for every matchup in playoff history, where one team had a layoff of four or more days while their opponent had a layoff of two or fewer days in the history of major league baseball, we had to say, I'll say it one more time for every matchup in playoff history, where one team had a layoff of four or more days while their opponent had a layoff of two or fewer days. There've been 35 of these games in baseball history and the team with more rest in those games has gone 24 in 11. 24 and 11 in those games where the team that had more rest had more success in winning that game. So there's just not enough evidence to back up Dave Roberts or whoever wants to make an excuse for this team because the layup, the reality here is they just did not show up. They did not perform. They underperformed and it's their fault and their fault alone. And look, you look at the team that has a layoff. They have an advantage. They're more rested. You can set up your pitching. So I think, that is something that I want to see. Now, as far as the postseason being a crapshoot, I see that out there. And there is truth to that. There is truth that compared to any of the other major sports, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, the team that wins a major league baseball, isn't always the team that is the best in the regular season. We've seen that you saw the Braves team a few wins ago, less than 90 wins, less than 90 wins. They go on to win the world series in 2021, right? You saw last year, the Phillies team—they make it right. I mean, this is the first championship series where all teams, all four teams, has ninety or wh- or less games, ninety wins or less in this series. But how about this? I find this pretty incredible. This is my stat of the day? My bring my facts to the fight. Stat of the day in Major League Baseball compared to the NBA. In the NBA, the better team advances eighty percent of seven-game series in the NBA in the postseason, right? In Major League Baseball, for that to be the case, you would need a best of 75 series to match that rate. You have to have a best of 75 series to match it where 80% of the time the better team would win in Major League Baseball. So that tells you that there is some randomness to Major League Baseball. There is a crapshoot element to it on the flip side. It does not need to be the case. The Astros are a perfect example. They won 106 games last year. They won the world series. So it's definitely complicated, but I think to just say, okay, it's randomness. It's a crapshoot. So that's why you don't want to go all in at the deadline. That is something that I think is hurting this organization. That is a mentality and, a mindset that's preventing Andrew Friedman and this team from pushing all their chips in the middle of the table. That's what I want to get into this next discussion transition here to the trade deadline and what Andrew Friedman did this year. But first let me dive into some of these comments here. We got Dave did nothing wrong from Swaggy. see the solution is Otani from Jared Myers. We'll talk about that. Javier. Is this the beginning of the end of Dodgers prime? That's an interesting question. I would say that, they are transitioning. I think that window is closing on the previous core. I think the prime of Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts that's waning just because of age and attrition alone. But I still think that from how they're set up financially with all the prospect capital they do have, there's no reason why this team can't be extremely competitive and be perennial world series contenders because they have all the resources, right? Doom underscore Sal says, How about you bring up the whole triple A team? Come oh, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> so there we go. Uh DMAC Dodgers Nation. What up, champ over there? What up, Craig Osterberg? Yeah, you guys have been lighting up the comments. I want to thank you guys for making Dodgers Dugout Live the top Dodgers show on YouTube. So Definitely keep hitting that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. The more times you hit that like button and comment, all that great stuff, the more giveaways that we do give away. we got a giveaway this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we got uh, Doug. What's that record in the 21st century though? I just read it to you. I mean, it's really close. It's really close. And yes, the three top 100 teams did go down. And there's no doubt about that. And I do think that it has an effect. It has an impact. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's on the organization to play within the rules and the Astros can do it. So can the Dodgers. There is one team that's still having success despite the new playoff format. Now, whether or not it's good or bad for major league baseball, I think that's a whole different conversation that I touched on the last episode. I think it's bad when you lose your marquee teams. I think it's bad when the Dodgers and Braves lose in the DS. Just look at the television ratings. When this NLCS starts, I predict it's going to be the lowest in history. I think it's there's a chance. I mean the Phillies are a good draw but the Diamondbacks. When you look at Corbin Carroll, he's the face of their team. He's a star, there's no doubt about that, but I think it's going to be tough as far as how they're going to draw. You're going up against football. Basketball starting soon, right? So you need those marquee teams in there in Major League Baseball more than ever, and I think that you do run the risk of losing those teams. But let's get back to the topic at hand and talk about this trade deadline from Andrew Friedman. And just the mindset and the approach of this front office, because I think that's where they are fundamentally flawed at the moment. And you looked at this trade deadline where, yeah, they were in contact for Justin Verlander. Yes. They were interested in signing Verlander in the off season. He ultimately signs with the Mets. He has all the power and leverage in the world. He gets himself a no trade clause and he essentially forces himself back to Houston. And not only that Stephen Cohen, paid down that contract, they get some prospects. It was an exchange from that degree, right? Though Verlander, they went after him. Verlander didn't want to be a Dodger. If Verlander wanted to be a Dodger, they would have probably got him in Dodger blue. There's a chance that that was a possibility. You also have the Eduardo Rodriguez situation where the Dodgers pulled off a trade for Erod, but Erod also had the Dodgers among his teams where he could veto that trade and he exercised that vetoed trade. I know that that is within his right he could exercise that right. He vetoed the trade and it had more to do with the Dodgers being unwilling to throw on more money and more years on his contract. Cause he had that opt out. Right. And it just didn't make a lot of sense. He originally said that he wanted to be closer to Florida, be close to Miami and all that. But still at the end of the day, the Dodgers, they'd have made a move for a player that one, he's a good player. He's someone that could have really helped, but he's not elite. He's not a frontline starter. I don't think he's going to do what Jordan Montgomery did last night. I don't think he's going to do what Justin Verlander has been able to do. I don't think he's someone that is a absolute difference maker, game changer. I think he's going to help this team. There's no doubt about it, but still he's not a needle mover. That's not a big swing. Then you look at the other moves they made. You bring a Joe Kelly in. I think that was a great move. I think that bolstered the bullpen. You bring in a Lance Lynn who is having one of the worst seasons as far as home run totals go. Gives up 44 bombs on the year at an ERA over six when they traded for him. Strikeout rate was up. The swing and miss was up. The results just weren't there. And yes, Lance Lynn, for the most part, he did his job when the Dodgers traded for him, right? He ate innings. He didn't tax the bullpen. He went deep into games, gave you hundred plus pitches, but he was your game three starter. They threw out Lance Lynn in an elimination game. You've got to be kidding me. Lance Lynn in elimination game. I was impressed with Lance Lynn in game three. I was impressed that he only gave up four home runs. I thought I was going to give up 40. So you throw out Lance Lynn in elimination game. Not only that, you don't take him out until he throws four sets a record becomes the first pitcher in major league baseball history to serve up four dingers in an inning. So Lance Lynn was your answer. And then Kike Hernandez, He was solid. That was a great pickup. I think he is someone who I think they should bring back. He's a dog. He brings it in the postseason. And you got to give him all the credit in the world. That move worked out. And then you get Ahmed Rosario. Ahmed Rosario is someone who was brought in to face left-handed pitching. He was brought in for his offense. And not only that, you got Ahmed Rosario for Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard essentially was... The couch that you see on the side of the road that has a free sign on it, and they managed to get a human being, a living, breathing Major League Baseball player for Noah Syndergaard. Thor was a thud with LA and they were able to get someone in return. So that was a good move. But guess what? Ahmed Rosario did not even make the Dodgers postseason roster. They went with Colton Wong instead, and then the deciding seventh inning there in game three, when the Dodgers had some life, they had four straight singles in that inning. You bring up Austin Barnes off the bench and he sees one pitch and hits a lazy ground out. So that was your answer. You should have Ahmed Rosario in that situation. So I don't understand you making that move and making that trade. And yes, he did cool off big time after that first couple weeks. There's no doubt about that, but still why make that trade unless you're going to have him on that roster. And then you'll get Ryan Yarbrough. Ryan Yarbrough is another guy who you pivoted to after the E-Rod deal fell through. And what happened there? Ryan Yarbrough, he didn't make the postseason roster. I would have rather seen him out there than Lance Lynn, right? And I would have rather see Ryan Pepe, who's your best pitcher over the last two months over any of them. So the point I'm trying to make here is that, if you look at the trades they made, they trade for all negative war players, right? Negative war players. They did not give up any major prospects, no significant moves. And it was almost like you ask your mom, Hey mom, can we go to McDonald's? And your mom says, no, we have food at home. And you keep just nagging her mom. Can we please go to McDonald's? And she says, fine, but we're going to shop at the dollar menu. You can only order off the dollar menu. They got a bunch of dollar menu guys at the trade deadline, bunch of dollar menu guys. And look, I love the dollar menu. I think, Hey, you get the dollar cheeseburger, it's fire, right? Kike Hernandez worked out. But for the most part, they're dollar men, you guys. And that's the moves they made. Anytime Andrew Friedman or any of these guys, they talk to the media, right? And you see a lot of this and this and this, and they're holding the Essentia water and this and this. It's a bunch of word salad. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. And what they did the past off season was sign a lot of one-year reclamation projects the most expensive deal they made was for Clayton Kershaw at one year, $20 million. And then at the deadline, they did not take any big swings. And I think that is something that needs to change within this organization is this sustainable winning model. It doesn't work in the postseason. It works in June. It doesn't work in October. At some point you need to take all those chips, push them into the middle of the table. Like a trap called quest said, scared money. Don't make none. And their Dodgers operate scared at the deadline. They do not want to overpay. We still have not seen one big blockbuster trade in the expanded postseason era, right? If you went to bed in 2021 and you woke up in 2023, you would have probably thought the Dodgers would have made some big trades at the deadline. Like we saw with Trey Turner, and Max Scherzer when the Dodgers part of ways, with their two top prospects, you would expect that from this team, except we have not seen it. And the reason why is because with the 12 teams in the postseason, because the expanded postseason, the Dodgers have more competition at the deadline last year. Perfect example. They probably would have traded for Luis Castillo. I've heard from sources. They were deep into talks for Luis Castillo. Instead, he goes to the Seattle Mariners. I'm more upset that they didn't go more all in. Last year, then this year, to be quite frank with you, you don't get a Luis Castillo. And then this year, not much was available if we're going to be completely honest, right? It's they're basically going to Toys R Us the night before Christmas. And you see the aisles are all empty. Not a lot there. You got a basically got a Mr. Potato Head and the eyes are missing. I mean, not a lot going on there, right? But still, there wasn't that many options, but we don't know how aggressive they were towards trying to get Dylan Cease. And Dylan Cease... The Chicago White Sox ace, he didn't pitch great down the stretch. On the same token, it's the Chicago White Sox, right? It's a toxic team. He still has ace-level stuff. There's a world and a universe where if he gets traded to the Dodgers, then he pitches well, and he's their game-one starter, right? That's very possible. And how about Jordan Montgomery? I've also heard the Dodgers could have gotten Jordan Montgomery. And Jordan Montgomery, so far this postseason, Monty, 17 to third innings of work, a 208 ERA. They could have gotten Jordan Montgomery from the Cardinals. That's a deal they could have swung. They could have made that move. Instead, they didn't, right? The Texas Rangers, they want it, man. They want to go all in, and it's paying off, not only from the moves they've made to Breen and Bruce Bochy. The Rangers lost Jacob DeGrom, a guy they gave a ton of money to, a guy to give a ton of money to in the off season, and they still went all in. That's how big it is in Texas. That's how desperate they are to win. But the thing about the Dodgers and Andrew Freeman is they're refusing to overpay because there's more competition at the deadline. So you're not seeing those Max Scherzer and Trey Turner moves. You're not seeing those Manny Machado, you Darvish type moves. You are not going to see those right now because you have to, pay up the market is robust, right? You are not going to be able to get stars for pennies on the dollar, right? Andrew Friedman. He likes to buy the Halloween candy the day after Halloween when it's half price. not when he has to overpay and that has to change, I'm telling you that has to change. I mean, this Dodgers team, they wasted a golden opportunity because look, I hear people out there saying, okay, the pitching was decimated, right? You had so many injuries and that's true. Dustin may goes down, Another major elbow injury, another major flexor tendon surgery, Tommy John for Tony Gonsolin, Tony Gonsolin, the catman ran out of his nine lives, right? And he wasn't on the meow anymore. He was done, right? And then you lose Kershaw for most of the season with that, or not most for six weeks for the shoulder inflammation. Then when he returns, he's not as effective. And then Thor, Noah Syndergaard, he was an absolute bust, right? And then none of these young guys really realized it until Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller really was a saving grace. Where would this rotation have been without Bobby Miller, right? And then Julio Arias, though, he was having his worst year of his career. So even before the trade deadline, they they knew Tony Gonson was injured. They knew he had been pitching through a UCL injury. They knew that. They were aware of that. And same thing with Julio Arias. They know Julio Arias wasn't effective. They saw the advanced numbers. They know he was due for aggression. They knew that there's no world where this version of Julio Arias was going to take them through the postseason. That's just unrealistic, right? And yes, the Julio Arias situation where he was arrested for domestic violence, that happened after the trade deadline. So that's unfortunate as far as the Dodgers and where they were. But the reality is they have not prioritized starting pitching. And that is where... They're making a fatal error, a fatal flaw. Everyone knows that. You need starting pitching in the postseason, and the Dodgers just have not had that. And I think the most important player on the Dodgers, what is the common thread for these last two NLDS losses? One, bad offense. Two, no timely hitting. I mean, it's insane to me to think the Dodgers didn't even create 20 opportunities with runners in scoring position. They had just 17 opportunities with runners in scoring position in this series. And they just had no, they did nothing. They did nothing in those situations. They go four for 17 with runners in scoring position in three games. And they led Major League Baseball with 11 opportunities with runners in scoring position in the regular season. So the common thread, the... The consistent storylines we see are the offense doesn't show up, right? But I think the most important thing is no starting pitching because we know at this point, great starting pitching shuts down a great offense. And who have we not had in this rotation? That's Walker Ethan Bueller. I'd venture to say that Walker Bueller is the most important player in the Dodgers organization right now. I truly believe that. Mookie Betts, Mr. August, he's great, right? October hasn't shown up went over 11, the DS, Freddie Freeman, he was someone who was having a career year, right? 29 home runs, 59 doubles. He was fantastic. But Walker Bueller, if he's on this roster and he's pitching like an ACE, he's going in game one, he's getting the ball in game one. And he's not allowing six runs in a third of an inning. If he's going in game two, he's not leaving that. Giving up three runs, right? In game three, he's not giving up four home runs. Walker Bueller is the most important player in this Dodgers organization if he's right, because he gives you a surefire, bona fide superstar ace that gets it done in the postseason. Walker Bueller is the guy, game 163 comes through. 2018, World Series game three, he absolutely shoves and he shuts down that Boston offense. Even the NLDS 2019 Walker Bueller came through. Walker Bueller is someone that has it in the postseason. He's got that GTDIH syndrome. He's got that dog in him. And that is what this team lacked. You need to have the Buell dog back on the mound for the Dodgers. It's so important. And even this year, even though Walker Bueller didn't return, the fact that he was even shooting for a September 1st return coming off a second Tommy John surgery tells you everything you need to know about Bueller, right? Didn't make sense. He's still shot for that. And I think that is the number one thing I want to see is the ACE Walker Bueller back on the map because he would have started game one, right? And unfortunately you just don't have that. And this Dodgers team, they realize that will he come back and be effective? It remains to be seen, but I will say having seen Nathan Ivaldi do what he did, the other night, I felt really good about that. Nathan Ivaldi is a name that Walker Bueller has talked about as someone that he has been following as far as someone who's returned off a second Tommy John surgery and has been able to have a lot of success. And you look at Nathan Ivaldi against Baltimore the other night, goes seven innings, allowed five hits, had seven strikeouts against Tampa Bay. He went six and two thirds innings, had eight strikeouts. There's no reason why Walker Buehler can't come back, be the ace of this Dodgers team and carry them throughout the postseason. He has been the Dodgers' best postseason pitcher since he's put on the blue. Walker Buehler is different than Clayton Kershaw in that when the postseason rolls around, Buehler elevates. He takes his game to a whole nother level in October, whereas Clayton Kershaw is a 248 regular season ERA, best of the modern era, but also is a 449 postseason ERA, which is the worst for pitchers that have 100 plus innings of work in October. So they need Walker Bueller back. If there's a pitcher out there, if there's a situation where there's one game to win, If it's game seven, everything on the line, World Series, I can pick one player at full strength right now in Major League Baseball. Give me Walker bleeping Bueller. Give me the Buell dog back on the mound. We've seen him get out of tight jams in 2020. We've seen him come through on the big stages. He wants it. He's not afraid of the moment. And I think the big thing for me is how will his velocity look when he returns? Will we start to see 98-99 again with four-seam fastballs up in the zone, missing bats? How will his secondary stuff look? Because if he comes back, he's throwing 98 again, getting Walker Buehler back like the vintage Walker Buehler that we saw in 2018 and 2020, even in 2021 when he got it done, going on short rest, didn't have it against the Braves in game six. Didn't love that pitch sequence to Rosario there. But still, I think that if they get Walker Buehler back and he pitches like he's capable of pitching, that's going to be as good as getting a Blake Snell or an Aaron Nola or some of these free agents that could be available. So that to me is really the number one thing I'm looking for this off other than getting Shohei Otani, of course, is can you get ACE level Walker Buehler back? Because that is a difference maker. That's a game changer. That is the guy that has the stuff, the je ne sais quoi, the ability to get it done when the lights are bright, There's no one I would rather want on this planet than Walker effing Bueller. And let's just hope that he comes back and pitches like an A. So let's get into these comments here. Do you guys think that Andrew Friedman did enough at the trade deadline? In my opinion, I said at the deadline, and I said it now, I'll say it again, is that, look, I think the answer is no. I think at some point, you have to trade some of these prospects. You have to stop going for these reclamation projects and getting all these guys here trying to get their upside. Sometimes you just have to pay knowing you're gonna have some lean years, right? I don't need to make the postseason and get balanced in the NLDS. I can miss the postseason a couple of years if you give me a World Series championship, right? I will sacrifice that. Look what the Rams did. Look what Les Snee and the Rams did in the FM picks era. For me, I think the Dodgers, it's not FM picks. For me, I always say it's parades over prospects. Give me the parades over the prospects and stop looking at the postseason like it's a crapshoot. That is the problem right now, is they're looking at the postseason like it's a crapshoot. And yes, there is some randomness, like we talked about earlier, but I also think that if you construct a roster with one, guys that have a history of coming through in the postseason, two, just starting pitching quality, Right. Think about Bobby Miller. He's great. Here's the thing, too. I just want to say this before we talk about these next pitchers. I got five pitchers that I think the Dodgers should consider signing. Is hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. And I think the Dodgers, that is what they're about. Right. I want to be more realistic and less idealistic. Hope is not a strategy. What did they do this year? They hoped that Walker Buehler was going to come back and pitch well. They hoped that Clayton Kershaw was going to get healthy and be effective with that shoulder injury. They hoped that Julio Arias was going to start pitching like the Cy Young candidate Julio Arias again. They hoped that Bobby Miller in game two was going to be the next Fernando Valenzuela as a rookie and carry this team. They hoped a lot of these things, but hope is not a strategy at some point you get what you pay for. You have to go out there and get aces. Look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Look at the Houston Astros. Look at, The Texas Rangers, they went out there. They got Jordan Montgomery. They made a move for Max Scherzer, right? The Astros, they brought back Justin Verlander, right? Look at the Phillies. You have Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Even look at the diamondbacks You got Zach Gallant and you got Merrill Kelly, right? You have to win with starting pitching. It's not about the flashy everyday player. Who cares about that? You need it for sure. It's great to have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. You need it, but still, I think that, The Dodgers see them as, oh, this is an everyday player that fans are going to see every single day. They're going to put butts in the seats versus this pitcher that's going to pitch every five days. That doesn't sell as many tickets, right? Because you're using pitchers less and less this time around in Major League Baseball. You're not seeing that number one starter go seven, eight innings every single start, right? But I do think that there are some fundamental philosophical issues with this or in this organization as far as roster construction, but we got Mr. Marty Mart says DMAC, What up Mr. Marty Mart. We got Justin Lamas. What up Justin Lamas? I said the exact same thing. The last two trade deadlines in off season. Nobody believed me. Look who was right now. Justin Lamas taking his victory lap down below in the, no one likes that. I told you so guy, just Lamas, but guess what? I said the same thing. <laughs> okay, let's be honest here. Uh, exactly two players for 99 cents champ. That's a fire take. A uh, Dodgers is so cheap. Yeah, that's the thing about Andrew Friedman. Everyone says in Friedman, we trust Andrew Fleesman. He's been less Andrew Fleeceman and more Andrew Frugelman in the last couple of deadlines. That has to change. If you believe you have a team that has the potential to win the World Series, you have to load up at the deadline. If that means sacrificing some prospects, go ahead and do it. Because last time I checked, your farm system is the best in the game at developing prospects. You can find guys and develop them and you're going to be blocked by other positions. Anyway, the Michael Bushes of the world haven't even played. Right? So I think that is a great point. Joe Tory DMACC, see the angels organization, the Padres organization for teams that go all in at the trade deadline. That's from Joe Tory. That's different though, because those teams, they knew they didn't have depth on the margins, right? They didn't have depth on the margins. So you bring it in. They're like a house of cards situation. Right And honestly, the Angels only did that because it was a last-ditch effort to try to keep Shohei Ohtani in Anaheim. So they wanted to show him, hey, look, we did the deadline. We got Lucas Giolito. We got this and that. They, they knew that was the move. Yes, they want to make the postseason, but I think that was more calculated. The Padres, they did it last year, and they beat the 111-win Dodgers team, and they ran into that Phillies team that was a buzzsaw. I mean, look, let's be honest here. That Padres team, a couple bounces go their way, and they're a World Series winning team. They also beat the Mets, too. So Yeah, I think that the Padres are a little too top-heavy, but when you're the Dodgers, your version of going all-in is different than the Padres and the Angels version going all-in because you have depth. And yes, you have to sacrifice some of that depth to get some of these star players. There's no doubt about that. But I also know that the last two years, the Dodgers, they sat on their hands, they kept their hands in their pocket at the deadline, and they got bounced in the NLDS both years. They've won one, they've won 211 regular season games. 211 regular season games in the last two years They've exactly one one postseason win so you tell me that doesn't sound like a team that needs to be more aggressive at the deadline to make sure that embarrassments like that don't happen but here we go let's jump to this comment section you guys are lighting it up appreciate you guys rocking with us here for an episode of dodgers dugout live we're gonna be with you all off season long guys we are not going anywhere all right we're going nowhere we're going to be breaking this thing down because there's going to be a very eventful off season. We got Shohei Otani, other free agents, club options. Will they keep Dave Roberts? I mean, so many things to get into this off season. We appreciate you guys. Doug, would you want Mattingly back? I don't know who asked that, but the answer is unequivocally no. Okay. Without Don Mattingly, maybe uh, and Kershaw doesn't have as many of these postseason meltdowns, but uh, LOL, Doug at the 20, 211 and one wait, Yeah. Wait, right. BC. I mean, LOL, Doug, a BC says, LOL, Doug at the 211 and one win ratio. I mean, that's insane. That's wild. That's incomprehensible, right? That a team can have so much success in the regular season, but not in the postseason. is Dave Robertson, and Andrew Freeman. Are they regular season GMs and managers or are they postseason regular season GMs and managers? Cause right now it feels like Bruce Bochy is that man a uh, boomer assassin D Mac. What about last year? We had all the talent with the same result. Doesn't that say that it's more of a front office or culture problem than a personnel problem. That's a good question. Boomer assassin. I think it does go deeper than that. And that look, I do think the approach at the plate, you want to see the Dodgers have more clubs in their bag. As far as having a two strike approach, being able to hit more contact. I do believe that if you throw Kike Hernandez and, you have Chris Taylor not dealing with the injury. Max Muncie not dealing with the injury on last year's team. They probably do beat that Padres team. And if you look at the, who was their best starter last year, their best starter last year wasn't Hulu Urias. He gave three runs in five innings. He was laboring. It wasn't Clayton Kershaw. He gave up three runs in five innings of work. He was laboring. He gave that home run there to Manny Machado. It wasn't those two guys. The Dodgers best pitcher against the Padres in the NLDS was Tyler Anderson And Tyler Anderson got pulled too early. So it does make you wonder that, Hey, whoever the Dodgers bring, they're going to just pull them too early anyway. But I think that team was different too. I think the bullpen was better this year than it was last year. And I think at the end of the day, it falls on those superstars falls on Mookie Betts, right? Your best player sets the tone. Your best player is someone that is so important as far as the mentality and the attitude of your team. And yeah, they just didn't get it done last year, but I still think last year, that team in 2021, in 2022, that team should have had Luis Castillo on it. You guys know that I was pushing for that for months, for years. Not even, I literally was pushing that for years. And that team could have had Luis Castillo. But the problem also, too, is they're going to give the ball to Clay and Kershaw no matter what because of the name on the back of his jersey, right? The sad thing for me when it comes to this Jordan Montgomery situation, the fact that he's been so great in the postseason, his nasty curveballs just filthy stuff. He's been great getting out of bases loaded jams. And he was so great last night. The sad thing about Jordan Montgomery is that even if they had traded for him, he's probably still going to be your game three starter because the Dodgers like to play narratives. They like to play favorites. They like to give guys who have track records, the opportunities when it's not the best, it's not the best idea. So yes, go down below in the comment section. I know that I firmly believe that, but, uh, couple more down below, and then we're going to change the next topic. Jared Meyer says, who is out there this offseason? Jared, that's a great transition, a great segue, because we talked about it today. What do the Dodgers need to do? Did Andrew Friedman fail this team at the deadline? Did Clayton Kershaw and the rest of this pitching staff not answer the bell? Did this offense not answer the bell? Yes, but that could all change this offseason when you make some big signs. So I've got some pitchers. I want to see the Dodgers consider signing. Cause I think at this point, like I said, you have to go externally. You can't go internally because you can't remember. Hope is not a strategy. You can't hope that Bobby Miller is going to shove in game two until we've seen it. We can't, we can't assume it, right? You can't assume some of this stuff. And I think the fifth, we're going to, we're going to do a countdown where we can. So five at number five, how about Sonny gray? Sonny gray is interesting because he told reporters at the deadline that there is a possibility that he might call it a career and retire at the age of 34 to hang out with his two sons. I hope he doesn't do that. I hope he still plays because he's put himself in a great position to get a nice contract. This year, Sonny Gray at 279 ERA, 283 FIP, a 24.3 strikeout rate, 5.4 war in 32 games. And... The only issue for Sonny Gray is he ended up signing that five-year, $50.7 million contract extension that ran through this year that had the club option for 2023. So that's why he's hitting free agency at a later, more advanced age. And I think the comp for Sonny Gray is last winter, Chris Bassett. He signed a three-year, $63 million deal with the Blue Jays at age 34. I think Gray has the potential if he still wants to pitch to get more than that. I think he could be looking at four or five years. He's going to get that qualifying offer and immediately rejected. So let me know. What do you guys think about Sonny Gray? Do you think that Sonny Gray is someone you want to see on your, your Dodgers? So that's number five. Number four is the aforementioned Monty Jordan Montgomery. He's been phenomenal. He's been terrific this post for the Rangers. A two EL Ray in 17 and a third innings of work last three years. He's just been consistent. A 383 ERA, a 348 ERA, a 338 ERA. Also, the FIP is in line with the ERA, 369, 361, 357. So we're going to talk about Blake Snell a little bit, where that FIP and that ERA, there's a big disparity there. But Jordan Montgomery is someone that, look, if Clayton Kershaw retires, you're looking at another lefty starter, right? And if you look at, since the start of the 2021 season, Jordan Montgomery has a 10.2 F-4, That ranks 17th in Major League Baseball and third behind Aaron Nola and Shohei Otani, the two other pitchers that could be in front of him this free agency. Of course, Otani won't be pitching next year. So Jordan Montgomery, you watched his start last night. He shoved, he was lights out. Not a big strikeout guy though. Not a big strikeout guy, but he does get chased. That's what plays up in the postseason. Doesn't walk guys in the 85th percentile. That's what plays up in the postseason. You're going to see a nasty sinker, a nasty changeup, a nasty curveball. Like I said, that curveball, that Uncle Charlie was nasty, nastier than a gas station bathroom last night to get Yord on Alvarez. He stranded them with the bases loaded. I think the comp for him is I mean, last year, look at Jamison Tyone, you look at t Walker. They got. $68 million deals, a $72 million deal. I think after the postseason that he's having, you could see him sign a nine figure deal. So he's someone that's going to change the market with his performance in the postseason. So that's a name I think they should consider. And then coming at number three, how about Aaron Nola? Aaron Nola always shows up in the postseason, right? Like I said, Clayton Kershaw, he doesn't elevate. He doesn't elevate in the postseason. Some guys elevate. Walker Bueller elevates. Aaron Nola is a guy who elevates. From 2015 to 2022, 203 starts. He's durable too. He stays on the mound, does get injured at 360 ERA, a 27.5 strikeout rate, 6.5 walk rate, and a 47.9 ground ball rate. So you're seeing a guy, strikeout rate, upside, walk rate, pretty solid, and he's also able to get those ground balls. Now, you also look at his wins above replacement. He has 30 wins above replacement in that span. Only Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Clayton Kershaw, Garrett Cole, and Justin Verlander have more. So Aaron Nola is really underrated. He's very underrated as far as his production. Only issue with Nola is he picked the worst season to have a down year in the regular season. 31 starts this year, 187 innings of work, a 457 ERA. The strikeout rate was down to 25.2%. It's a four-point decrease this year. And you look at, his FIP at 408. But when I was looking at last night, he had a 65.7 strand rate. So did have some bad luck. And also, you live through the Lance Lynn experience. The Lance Lynn is the Oprah of Major Baseball pitchers. You get a home run. No, you get a home run. No, you get a home run. Like I said, I was impressed by Lance Lynn. Only get four home runs, and I was gonna give up 40. But Nola has had his own home run issues. 31 bombs. That's how many he served up this year. And I think he's someone you look at the money. He's looking at nine figures. No doubt about it is going to be in the one twenty-five range, something like that. I think it's possible. He's 31 years of age. So Aaron Nola, he's someone, like I said, he posts, he doesn't get injured. I think that he had a down year as far as a strikeout rate goes, but I still think that he's someone that in October you can trust out there. And I think he's going to sign for nine figures. And then coming in at number two is Snell Zilla. Now Snell Zilla we know him very well game six shout out to Kevin Cash for taking him out of the game. Because if he didn't, the Dodgers might not have a world series. The, the drought might still be on. Right. But I see the comments sliding up by the way, we got uh, a lot of guys talking about, uh, let's read some before he head to Blake Snell. Yeah. I would love to see Sonny gray in Dodger blue. Yeah. Sonny gray. I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, compared to some of the other guys on the list, he's a little older, right? But he's having a really, really good late career, almost peak. And it's just a matter of does he want to still pitch? I think Sonny Gray is someone if you could get on a really nice contract. Hey, man, I would be all here for it too. Sonny could do well in LA's from Troll. Justin Lama says yes to Gray and Nola and Montgomery. Okay, you just want everyone. Okay, maybe one or two. Okay, maybe one or two. But, uh, Maybe one. I think we'll, we'll be lucky if we get one of these guys. We'll be absolutely lucky if we get one of these guys. But let's talk about Snellzilla. So you look at the ERA; it's sparkling—a 1.89 ERA in over 31 starts for the Rays in 2018. But after that, those four years he had a 3.85 ERA and 85 starts, so just under four. And then to start this season, he had a really rough go. He had a 5.4 ERA through his first nine starts, but then after those nine starts. Things clicked. He was the best pitcher in baseball down the stretch. He had a 126 ERA over his past 22 outings. He finished with a 225 ERA and 32 starts at a 31.5 strikeout rate. But if you want to spot the pimple on a model, the knock on him, if you want to poke a hole in Blake Snell is that walk rate, the walk rate at 13.3%. It's in the fourth percentile. So, the efficiency has always been an issue. He's a guy who's only been in the eighth inning only a handful of times throughout his career. Like I said, with the Dodgers, that wouldn't really matter because they would never let him pitch into the eighth inning with the way they manage their starting pitchers. So, that could actually be seen as a pro. And I look at, though, if you look at that FIP, like I said, the FIP a little on the high side. And you also look at that strand rate, he had an 86.2% strand rate. So, that means, of course, when runners were on base, he stranded them at 86.2 at an 86.2% clip and that tells you that yeah he's probably not going to have that same amount of luck for his second season. So I think that there's a really good chance that whoever signs Blake Snell is signing him when he's in a perfect position, right? He's the opposite of Aaron Nola in the sense that he is putting himself in a great position in his platform year to have a great payday, to get himself a nice bag because like I said, the FIP at 3.44 that's over a point higher than his 2.25 ERA. You also look at his batting average on balls in play, and this year that sat at 2.88. So that was below league average. You look at that strand rate. Actually, no, the the bat the babble was 2.56. So he had a 2.56 batting average on balls in play for his career. It's at 2.88. So I think for me, I don't know. I, to, I Snellzilla. He's a B, Scott Boris guy. I just don't see it. I don't see Blake Snell in Dodger blue. I think there's a chance that you sign him, maybe get a couple good years, but I think he does revert. Now, if there's not many names available, he's someone that I think is worth exploring. But I think he's going to sign for over 150 plus million. I'm not so sure the Dodgers, at his age, want him for 150 plus million dollars. That would go against their organizational strategy, but. He's still at number two, though, as far as best available, because look, let's be honest. He's someone that has upside. He has nasty stuff. If he's on in a postseason game, he absolutely shuts down an offense. Ask the 2020 Dodgers, right? He's someone that can carry you in a postseason game. And I think that that warrants a premium price. You could pay a premium for that. But my number one, my number one pitcher that I want to see the Dodgers sign number one with a bullet is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Now, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, if you don't know yet, you have to. Season with the Oryx Buffaloes of Japan's Nippon Professional Baseball League. And it might have been the best one that we've seen from him yet. And you look at the consistency with him over 170 games dating all the way back to 2017. is a 184 ERA in 883 innings of work. In 2023, that ERA got down all the way.
1: Yeah, with my airpods. Sorry. Just-
0: the top with Yoshinobu. Dude, that's a good opportunity to get water. Okay. And we uh, are we okay? Okay. Call us the Dodgers offense in the postseason. We went silent. Okay. But yeah, let's talk about number one. Number one for me with the bullet is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is the Dodgers pitcher next season. That is the guy the Dodgers should sign. You look at the history of Dodgers pitchers from Japan. Hideo Noah became the first Japanese player to make the all-star team. He started there in the mid-90s. And Yamamoto is someone that I think could be an absolute ace for the staff moving forward. And it was his seventh season for the Oryx Buffaloes of Japan's NPB. And it might've been the best one he's had yet. I mean, 170 games. Dating back to 2017, he's been good for a long time. He's been consistent every single year. He brings it since 2017. He has a 184 ERA and 883 innings of work. In 2023, that ERA was all the way down to 132 in over 21 appearances at a 25.2 strikeout rate, walked just 4.4% of the batters that he's faced. Now, he's going to need to be posted by his current club, the Oryx Buffaloes. It's widely expected they are going to do that. And the difference for him versus some of these other guys, look at Nola, look at Blake Snell. They're north of 30. Yamamoto is 25. He just turned 25 in August. If you look at last year, Kodai Senga, who went to the Mets, he was his age 30 season. He was 30. And then Maeda, Kenta Maeda was 28. So this is the youngest of the Japanese superstar pitchers, right? Yes, it's going to cost, but still, you're getting prime years. That's one reason why I think there is a chance that the Dodgers go after him because the Dodgers realize that when it comes to pitchers in free agency, you are paying for their down years. You're probably not going to get them at their ace level when they're in their third, fourth, or fifth year of that contract. That wouldn't be the case with Yoshinobu Yamamoto, right? He's 25 years old. He's got tons of arm, tons Of life left. You look at that strikeout rate, 25.2%. One thing you need to know Japanese pitchers, when they go from the MPB to the MLB, that strikeout rate usually goes up because the disciplined hitters in Japan, they're not offering that stuff as much as some of these MLB hitters, right? So I look at that strikeout rate to play up even more than it already is at 25.2%. So I think for the Dodgers, the ability to sign not just a good player, not just a good pitcher, a dominant pitcher. This guy is in his mid twenties. He makes him a very interesting and intriguing candidate. And I think you look at the kind of money that he's after. That's going to be a ton of cash, man. He end up with that. I mean, you look at. To me, look, think of Masahiro Tanaka. Masahiro Tanaka, when he was with the Yankees, and he signed that seven year, one hundred fifty five million dollar deal. Tanaka, he was twenty five years old. And in 2013, he went 24-0 with a 127 ERA, but before signing the fifth-largest contract for a pitcher in big league history, so it's going to take more than 155 million dollars to get Yamamoto. Like I said, he's a two-time Pacific League MVP, right? He's someone that is the the Sawamura Award winner, right? That's their signing the, the Sawamura Award winner, so. He's been phenomenal. He's the name that I'm hitching my wagon to. I'm planting my flag right here. I want to see the Dodgers sign this guy. He's fantastic. But uh, some more on him is that I mean, he was recently compared to Pedro Martinez. People call him the Pedro Martinez of Japanese baseball. And his pitch mix is interesting. An In upper 90s fastball. He's got elite command. He's got a ton of off-speed pitches. But it's his feel out there on the mound. He's got great feel. He's got great mound presence. And you look at that curveball he has. It's absolutely disgusting. It's been compared to being the right-handed version of Clayton Kershaw's curveball. So give me Yamamoto. I think he's going to sign for over $200 million. He, to me, is that surefire ace. And if you get a Walker Bueller returning, a Yamamoto, and then you got a Bobby Miller, then to me, that's a big three. If Clayton Kershaw wants to come back, I'm all for that but you're not going to have Clayton Kershaw out there in game one. If some of these other guys return and emerge, that's fine. But Like I said, hope is not a strategy. You have to go with the sure thing at this point. And to me, that's my sure thing. The Dodgers need to sign Yoshinobu, Yamamoto. And in the following season, imagine that. If you sign Otani, I'm dreaming here. This is a dream on a wish on a dream on a wish. But imagine Otani and Yamamoto in the same rotation It'd be quite a sight to see, but let's jump into the comments section here and read some more. of Your stuff. We got Nola greater than Snell. I'm your dad. What? I'm your dad. We got Josh over there. Yamamoto is going to have lots of teams after him. Got to be ready to spend for him. Absolutely. Yeah. You are not going to, get him on the cheap. I'm looking at 200 plus million dollars. We look at his age, 25 years old. We look at his stuff. When you look at the demand for elite starting pitching, there's no doubt about it. I think Kodai Senga last year almost helped his cause with the success that he had for the New York Mets. So I think you're spot on with that one. You are going to have to bring a big bag, but the Dodgers are a very attractive organization to Japanese pitchers. I've talked to international scouts. The Dodgers are the most popular team they want to pitch for this organization. The culture here, it's not as much of a transition as maybe going out there and playing for the Tampa Bay Rays right, or a team like that. I mean, playing for the Dodgers, it's a good amount of Japanese culture here and the history within this organization, it would make a ton of sense. The only question is, do the Dodgers want to pay big for a starting pitcher because we haven't seen it with that kind of length. They gave Trevor Bauer the bag. It made him the highest paid starting pitcher in history as far as AAV, but that was only a three-year deal had the options attached to it. So we have not seen in this realm with Fran Friedman, with this group, Friedman has just not done it. So here we go. We got uh John Yamamoto is going to have a lots. Okay. We got uh Yamamoto, fire take, D-Magus from Joe Torrey, fire take. A uh, gym will sign Yamamoto entice Otani to the Dodgers. And that's another great point from Jim over on Facebook. And that's definitely something that you want to consider. If the big whale, if the, the ultimate prize is Shohei Otani, and you want to say, you know what, screw this. We're sick of losing in the NLDS. We're sick of underperforming. We realize that 30, 40, 50 years from now, people are going to look back and say, We're the modern-day Atlanta Braves, as far as teams that were consistent but didn't go over the top to win multiple World Series titles. Right, that could be the case. Maybe this time, this time around, based on how embarrassing and pathetic their performance was the NLDS, the Dodgers just go a different route and they say, you know, we are going to spend big money. And I think that if I wouldn't say they're contingent, but it can't hurt. There's no way they can hurt, right? Uh, Some more comments down below here. Season ended how it started, getting embarrassed versus Arizona switch out Thor for land from BC. That's a fired take. We got fire Friedman, fire Roberts, Joe Gonzalez. You're firing everyone. Man. I hope you don't fire me. Uh, Lance Lindergard IV. That's a comment of the day. Ivy over on YouTube. Yeah. So last part, I'm going to focus on these comments here. I'd love to see Sonny gray. You guys are firing up the section. Degrom is rested up. That's from James Lane burns in the Mets. Uniform would be, would be get fit. Interesting lane. Yeah. Five inning pitcher. Yeah, I think that's the thing, too. I mean, we're going to explore the trade possibilities as well. Give me Josh Hader. That's from Jared Myers. Definitely not a hater. We got Doom underscore sell. I've been saying Yamamoto and Snell for a while now. Yamamoto, to me, is just so intriguing because I think the Dodgers, they have the advantage because of their location, their history, their endless bag. They have the deepest pockets in the league. If they wanted him, they could get him. I will say that outright. If the Dodgers wanted Yoshinobu, Yamamoto, they could get him, okay? They're Amazon. They have everything you could ever want. Resources, farm capital, money, anything you want. They have that when it comes to player acquisition. So I agree with you on that one. Blake Snell is the first two-time Cy Young Award winner. Nobody wants their favorite team to sign. That's a hilarious take from Yora to be. Yeah, I think that Blake Snell, good for him. Make your paper go boo-boo. Get that bag. He did that, Snellzilla. He always looks like he's kind of like mad and upset about something, right? Unfortunately, though, So I gave the strand rate numbers. I gave the Babbitt numbers well below league average. He's definitely going to come back to earth next year. I would not sign Blake Snell. I just would not do it. I think you will get some regression. Imagine if he doesn't have it in a postseason game from a command standpoint in the postseason, that 13% walk rate that scares me. The lack of efficiency in big games. So yeah, I'm not a big Blake Snell guy. Uh, Hello, Doug. How are you? I like that one, Cody. I'm doing just fine. Actually, I'm terrible. My Dodgers got eliminated and got swept by an 84-1 D-backs team. How do you think I am? But yeah, no, I was playing with you. Justin, uh, well, you have no choice but to overpay. Exactly. At some point, you're not going to get every deal on your own terms. You're not going to get that Halloween candy the day after like they always want. Okay? I'm so sick of the reclamation projects. Just go out there and get it. Parades over prospects. Have a hold of Nitos from Boomer Assassin. We got to, okay, we got to get rid of Roberts, that top of the stop wasting teams talent, that dude, Isaiah. Yeah. How about this? Look, I think it's interesting. I think, like I said, you can't pin this latest collapse on Dave Roberts, but let me ask you this question. We'll get out of here on this one. If the Dodgers had Bruce Bochy, if Bruce Bochy was the Dodgers manager, how many world series titles do you think they would have in this run? It makes you wonder, I mean, Bruce Bochy, I saw him at in person last year at the winter meetings. and. I marveled at the size of his dome. That dome is crazy. I mean, you know, the the bullpen cart they used to have that looked like the hats. That's basically the size of it. Those big hats that players are wearing as a joke. That would actually be the real one for Bruce Bochy. I think his head got bigger with all the baseball he's ever remembered. It just has gotten bigger throughout his life. But Bruce Bochy is proving that you can take a team that has injuries. You can take a team that has high level talent like Corey Seager, too and find a way to just win games in the postseason. So I'm going to have Jerry Harrison Jr. on this week. I'm going to ask him about the role of the manager, how big of an impact that has. But let me know down below. How do you guys feel about, if the Dodgers had Bruce Bochy, would they have more titles? Look, I think it's complicated. I you said, I'm a Dave defender. Definitely two more rings from Deja Wu. Front office, all their fault. They just want to fill seats. As for Matt Arby. Should they try to trade for Cease? We'll talk about that at some point this week best production is likely to fall with his size and game predicted on speed. As he ages, Mike Taylor, that's something I was diving into over the weekend is his production from August down to September, down to October. It's the wrong trajectory. And it made me think of what Mookie said during spring training, where he said that the boss, meaning the Dodgers made him go to drive line, made you go to drive line and add more weight. And he added nine pounds of muscle towards the end of the season did some of that muscle start to erode, right? I mean, it's a long season, it's probably fair to speculate. But uh, we would have three rings for Michael LA's two more with Dusty Baker, too. They would have a better shot. I will say this that covering multiple teams and multiple sports now every team thinks they have the worst coach. Every team thinks they have the worst manager in sports. You always want the other team's manager, the other team's coach. So there is something to that. And I think with Dave Roberts, he overachieved. He overachieved in the regular season and his pitching staff was decimated. And he can't go out there and swing the bat for his players, but it does make you wonder. But that's going to do it for this episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on X and Instagram at dmac underscore LA. And if you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Hit that like button. And thank you because I'm just the, this is just your show. This is your show. I'm just hosting it. The man of the fan, Doug McCain. And you guys have made this channel the number one Dodgers channel, and the number one live show here on YouTube. So be sure to give yourself a big pat on the back. Cause like I said, this is your show. I'm just hosting. So be sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell for giveaways all off season long, special shout out to my producer, Mr. Jordan. He's killing the game as always. And until next time, think blue, bleed blue and I'm out.